Hey everyone, I'm Sean Roberts from Here for Blood, and you're currently listening to The Horror Squad. Hello everyone, and welcome back to The Horror Squad Podcast. This is episode number 315. Where tonight we are going to be talking about Steve's pick, 1998's Disturbing Behavior. I am here, of course, with Steve, which I just mentioned. Todd, unfortunately, will be not with us tonight. I can't remember the reason. He's in Texas he's... for some reason oh, and right. having Texas barbecues. So I'm very jealous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully not fucking scoping a place to live. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We'll see. TBD. TBD, of course, but yeah. hey, I'd be I'd be okay with him heading back to Texas, uh, Texas Premier Weekend coming up and whatnot. So right. you know, maybe a place I can crash. But uh, yeah, uh, Steve, we have an interview tonight. We do. We had the pleasure of interviewing Sean Roberts, who is in a new film that's coming out on Screenbox on February 9th called Here for Blood. You're gonna hear Joe and I talk about it on What Watched. It's an interesting movie, very surprising movie, and I can't wait for us to discuss it a little bit later, but it's a great interview. Very, very cool guy. Uh, you might recognize him from quite a few things. Non-horror, he was on Degrassi, The Next Generation, and he was uh, Rogue's boyfriend in the very first X-Men movie. A very memorable scene there where Rogue figures out her powers while kissing him and stuff like that. But for horror fans, uh, he has a pretty legit streak as well. He was in both Land of the Dead and Diary of the Dead, of course, both Romero films. And he was also Albert Wesker in the Resident Evil uh, like film series. So yeah, pretty legit dude and very nice to talk to. So that will be at the end of this episode. Hell yeah. Yeah, he was awesome. He was a great Great interview, so definitely stick around for that. We even got into a little Romero with him, which was really cool. So definitely stick around for that. That, of course, once again, we'll talk about on what watch, but Screenbox, thank you so much for getting us that interview. February 9th on Screenbox, so make sure and go and check that out. Subscribe to Screenbox. It's cheap enough, and you'll hear our thoughts, but I'd say it's worth it for this movie, just, you know, even if you just subscribe for the month. Before we get into what watch, I do want to mention, of course, a couple of important dates. You're going to keep hearing this until they they pass by. But June 7th through the 9th, Living Dead Weekend. That is the big one, ladies and gentlemen. Please come to that. That's going to be awesome. Official Horror Squad podcast meetup. That's where the three of us can actually just chill. And we're not going to be crazy like we are in October with our Hocus Pocus event. So if you just want to come and hang out with us, and just kind of mingle and talk to us and have dinner with us and stuff like that, come to Monroeville, Pennsylvania. It is the home of Dawn of the Dead, of course. It is taking place right inside the mall where they filmed the movie. There's going to be a tour we are going to be doing of the filming locations. So come out to that. Once again, June 7th through the 9th, Monroeville, Pennsylvania. We are doing the 1 p.m. mall tour on Saturday. So Grab your tickets for that. I The mall tours definitely sell out. You can probably wait a little longer as far as the weekend passes for the event. But if you do plan on coming, definitely book those mall tour tickets so you can come and join the mall tour with us. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun. Join the Discord if you haven't already. You can get all the details of what's going on over on the Discord for Living Dead Weekend. Also, October Big Hocus Pocus event coming up with the cast of Hocus Pocus. Currently confirmed is who we had last year. Omri Katz, Vanessa Shaw, Jason Marsden, and Thora Birch. 
of course, the four main cast, but they are bringing a couple of special guests along with them this year, which we haven't announced yet. It should be getting announced very soon. It is going to be a whole weekend of events in Salem, Massachusetts, October 11th through the 13th. It's going to be uh, an awesome time. So hopefully you can make it out to either one of those events. We look forward to it. We also individually are planning to go to attend some cons and stuff this year. We'll mention that the closer it gets to those. So we hope to see you at any of the upcoming events. All righty. Steve, let's get into it. What you've been watching. All right. So my first film this week is a movie I watched because, unfortunately, last week we lost uh, David M.G., who is, of course, a flyboy from Dawn of the Dead, as I do anytime, you know, an actor comes across my mind, I check their their work. And he didn't do a lot of acting. In fact, uh, he only did like five actual films and then a few documentaries and stuff for Dawn of the Dead. So I decided to check one out that I had never seen, and that is 1992's Hellmaster, which I watched over on Tubi. So this one, of course, stars David M.G. and also John Saxon, directed by Douglas Schultze. So this is a story of a reporter played by David who figures out that there's a uh, high school professor or high school teacher, I guess. He's a psychology teacher, and he he's doing some kind of experiments on students, and uh, he thinks that there's something really wrong there. He's drugging him with something, and he's not quite sure what's going on, but he knows it's nefarious. So he goes to this school to figure out what all that is about. Meanwhile, the students who are being drugged by this professor are starting to kind of come out of their uh, shell they're it's almost honestly it's disturbing behavior in 1992 if i'm being honest with you guys it's except they're more like zombified in this one they're a little bit more demon-like and it's the students who are trying to stop their friends from turning into one of that professor's puppets uh, so that's really the gist of the film is the, the students in the high school trying to figure out how to stop this guy with the help of david the reporter I couldn't believe how much this was like disturbing behavior when I watched it. But as far as this movie goes, you know, for one, honestly, I never heard of before I looked at his work. It's actually pretty good. It's got a lot of things that I like. It's got some religious horror because it's kind of a religious cult at the same time. Uh, it's got great body horror. It's got great practical effects. It's got good kills. It's got some nudity. It's got some like killer creatures and... There's just like a lot to love about this one. I, I just couldn't believe like how many of the awesome scenes that I was seeing. And I'm like, I've never seen any of this ever. And I don't understand why. I, I It's not like the best film ever, but it's something I think people should definitely at least check out because th there's a lot of good stuff in here. So I give this one a three and a half out of five on Letterboxd. Not like a classic or anything like that, but one I think that deserves more eyes on it than they should. And of course, rest in peace, David. Uh, it was cool to see him. You know, he's actually a lot like Flyboy in this one. I don't know if maybe he's like typecast or that's just his personality in real life. I'm not too sure, but it was, it was cool to see him. And yeah, I look forward to watching the other three films he's done, which are a little harder to find, but I'll figure it out. Excellent. Excellent. That sounds cool. All right. My first one tonight, brand new 2024 release. A movie that hit theaters recently, but already hit streaming the other day. And that is Night Swim, Blumhouse's new movie. 
you know, I my expectations going in were pretty low already based on everyone. <laughs> Essentially, I haven't really heard too many good things about this movie at all. But, you know, I got to do it. I got I to check it out for myself and see, you know, if I can maybe amend the minority and actually like this movie. So this movie essentially is about a family that ends up moving into a a home uh, with a pool in the backyard. The pool, of course, has been sort of abandoned, not taken care of for a long time. They fix it up. They're having a great time with the pool, blah, blah, blah. And come to find out the pool is haunted and madness ensues from there. They could have just changed the title of this film to Amityville Pool, honestly, because they rip off Amityville Horror so much in this movie, especially when we get to the end finale. It's it's crazy how much they ripped off uh, Amityville Horror in this movie. But yeah, I, so I will say, you know, the movie actually did start off fairly well. You know, there's a really like interesting backstory with the father character where he was a professional baseball player. And he ends up getting injured or gets diagnosed with a rare disease or whatever. And his uh, his whole sort of backstory, I thought, was like really interesting. And he had like a really interesting sort of arc that comes into it where the pool has sort of these healing capabilities and whatnot. And he sort of becomes obsessed with it and whatnot. But then the movie just after that, it just goes into the complete sort of generic, just dull territory. and. It progressively gets worse as it goes along. You know, is it like an awful movie? No, but is it a good movie? No, it's it's still a, a bad movie. Is it? It's but it's. I will say it's like it's watchable, but there's no reason to watch it. You know, so you know the haunted pool concept is cool, but it's just so so wasted here. There's not a lot of great scares like at all involving the pool i think probably the best scare you got in the trailer with the whole sort of marco polo sort of scene but other than that they really don't utilize the pool enough instead they kind of go off the pool and do some really weird shit that just wasn't good and at the end of the day yeah like i said it's just it's just generic like it just becomes an amityville horror ripoff like i said by the time it gets to the end so yeah, I mean, it just takes the easy way out. I, I think some interesting things were explored, but then they just, they're just like, nah, fuck it. Like, we'll just go, you know, this isn't the type of movie for that. It's just going to be basic PG-13 scare fest horror, jump scare horror. But it doesn't even, like, it doesn't even deliver on that. Like, the scares aren't good enough. Yeah, so I give it a two out of five. Uh, you know, like I said, I mean, it's well shot. It definitely had a budget and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it's not the worst thing you're going to watch this year, but it's certainly not worth your time either. So I would definitely say skip it. Uh, I mentioned this in my letterbox review. The the best haunted house pool thing I've seen. So still is uh, that Are You Afraid of the Dark episode where they find the pool in the school, like a hidden pool in the school. I forget what that one's called, but it's a really cool episode. If you can find it, it's probably on YouTube these days, but they should, they should develop that into a full length movie. If you're going to do a haunted pool movie, and I'd be more interested in that. So that once again is night swim 2024. You can currently watch it streaming for like 20 bucks on Amazon prime, but do not pay that at all. If you could find it for free, I mean, I still wouldn't watch it. But I mean, you know, as horror fans, I know you're still going to end up watching it. So just make sure you don't pay a lot for it if you are going to watch it.
All right, noted. <laughs> so my second one this week is uh, continuing my kind of marathon that I've been doing for the last few weeks, and that is Bloodlust Subspecies 3 from 1994 over on Tubi. So this completes the Subspecies trilogy. Now, of course, there's four and five and a spinoff, but at the time, this was built as a trilogy. And in the first one, it's about, you know, a vampire, Radu, who is, he finds like these girls who are vacationing nearby and he tries to kind of bring him in as his brides. The second one, he succeeds to get one of them, but her sister comes to visit, tries to save her as she's turning into a vampire slowly. By the end, she turns into a vampire and uh, saves the sister. And this one takes place right after the second. She's now fully a vampire and the sister decides that she wants to save her, like the vampire sister once and for all. And meanwhile, Radu, the main vampire, is starting to fall in love with his new kind of vampire bride. And that's kind of the what where the story is. Uh, honestly, at first, I was like, I don't know if I'm liking this as much as the other two. You know, the other two were both three out of fives. And this one was kind of like lacking like any really horror. It was a lot more of just complaining and telling her that he loves her and showing her like the ways of the vampire and things like that. But the last like 15-ish minutes really brought it together in a way that I thought was satisfying and honestly should have probably ended the series. And I would give it the same score, 3 out of 5. I think subspecies 1, 2, 3 are all kind of just like decent one-time watches, you know? So this one is right there with the other ones. I'm curious where it goes with the spinoff and the other two films. They do leave it open at the end of the third one, so I'm assuming that's where their opening is for number four, but I'm still curious enough to watch it. And thank you to one of our listeners, Calum, who let me know that the spinoff is set between three and four, and uh, it actually does come into play in four. So I was going to watch it at the end of the series, but I'm not going to watch it next week because you know it, now it's now I know where it fits in the timeline. So thank you for that information. And yeah, Subspecies 3, Bloodlust on Tui. Yeah, you know, I've never checked out the subspecies. That's one franchise I, I, I've never jumped on the boat for. You know, I said, I know you said they're kind of worth one time watches. So, would you do, like, knowing me, would you say it's worth the jump on for me to at least jump on maybe the first one? No, because no. there's so much more out there. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. like, to be honest with you, unless you're a big full moon fan, maybe. Yeah, it's just something that's like I'm happy I'm watching. You know, I do it while I work out. I don't even like it while while I'm on the treadmill. It's not like right. one of those that I'm sitting in my basement on my big screen, like eagerly anticipating. Uh, so no, I I don't think you should go out of your way to watch it. But if you do okay. end up watching it, you know, it's 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 decent. It's worth at least the the watch. All right, cool, cool. Uh, I just realized this is our last January episode, so unfortunately, I did well, not. It's technically watch. February. So is it? Oh, it is right. Oh, okay, yeah. right. Well, for, so for it's the our episode, first anyway. February, yeah, we're recording. We don't record the same day the episode releases, people. Sorry. A few days before. So there's your podcast magic for you. I'm sure most of you already know that by now, though. But I am behind on my my month challenge thing. So Steve's recommendation of The Swarm, I will try to get in for next week for that. So hopefully a review for The Swarm coming next week for um, my monthly challenge. I'm really curious like for you on that one because it's described as the French Ari, Ari Aster. <laughs> so yes. Um, yeah. It's, it's not for everyone. I, I can tell you that, but I think yeah. you, you will enjoy it. Awesome. Look forward to it. All right. So let's get into our interview 
review here. We have an interview, of course, once again with Sean Roberts at the end of the episode. He plays our main character in this movie, Here for Blood. He plays Tom O'Bannon. So once again, February 9th on Screenbox. So a week from today, it will be releasing on Screenbox. It also said it's going to get a limited theater release, so maybe check your theaters if you do want to watch it in theaters as well. Maybe after listening to our review. Just wait to hear what we say. But here for, for Blood. Uh, so this movie is about a, a pro wrestler who is sort of, you know, he's, he's in the indie circuit, right? So he's not making a lot of money making uh doing his wrestling shows so his girlfriend she is crunching for exams in college and she asks her boyfriend played by sean roberts to if he can babysit do a babysitting gig for the night so he agrees he goes over babysits a young girl at a secluded farmhouse type place and from there madness ensues it becomes sort of, it starts off as a home invasion movie, and then it goes into some crazy places that I won't spoil for you guys, because the spoilers, like, I really actually ended up enjoying this movie a lot more than I thought I was going to, honestly. It's definitely low budget, I, and it started, I think, a little rougher around the edges here and there, and I was a little concerned, but man... The more and more this you go into this movie, the better and better it gets. It's just like a complete love story for practical effects and gore. Yeah, I don't want to get too spoilery because it, it just the places it goes is fucking pretty insane. Like it goes to some crazy ass places that I never expected. The twists and turns in this movie are wild. Um, I just really, really appreciate you know the effort and love. I could tell that was put into this movie. So I, I had a hell of a time. Steve, what did you, you think of it? Yeah, I didn't know what to make of this movie at first, especially the screeners. I tend not to look into it too much. So I go in kind of surprised. And you got this big like pro wrestler dude and he goes babysitting, which was a really weird kind of plot point, you know, uh, especially like a 10 year old. They just leave a 10 year old with this guy they don't know, <laughs> you know, weird. But anyway, they don't play it off weird. Thankfully, they play it off kind of legit. And then it's a home invasion. I saw it was a home invasion and I'm like, I'm not a big home invasion guy. I don't know if I'll really be into this. You know, it's going to be just a wrestler home invasion thing. But holy shit, does it take a turn for the interesting. Like like Joe said, the day mix different subgenres that you wouldn't expect. And there's blood and there's creatures and there's all sorts of stuff. I, I just don't want to say it because it is you know not out yet at this point. But I think this is one people should check out and check out knowing the least amount of, uh, as possible because there are a ton of surprises, including, uh, and we mentioned this in the interview, an interesting voice cameo that uh, you might not see coming. I enjoyed this. I, I think this is the best film I watched in 2024. Now, granted, you know, we're still in January when we're recording this. I haven't seen a ton yet, but yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised with this one and uh, I think it's worth definitely checking out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I will give the caveat of it's it's a little corny and cheesy at times, but I think if you're I think it's definitely worth your, your time. Like it it really surprised me. I I think it's a, a great one to watch with like a group of friends type sort of midnight movie style. It's just, it's just crazy. Yeah. And our interview Sean Roberts does great as the lead. You know, he's like a complete 
he's like the badass, right? He's sort of like the John Wick style, you know, character here that just absolutely destroys a lot of people in it. And it's it's just such a fun movie. So uh, yeah, I think so. Definite recommend from both Steve and I for that. So that once again, that's Here for Blood and it hits Screenbox on February 9th. Yeah, and I do have one more that I want to mention. We just had our movie night on uh, last Friday. We do it usually every last Friday of the month, and I want to thank everyone uh, for coming. So we watched 2013's Bad Milo, which is a movie on Tubi. Uh, thank you to Zach for um, recommending it. I, I really appreciated the, the recommendation. Uh, M- Bad Milo is a film about... A guy, he's got stomach problems. He's kind of like the budget uh, Jason Bateman, if you ask me. That's kind of what he felt like. He's got a, other great actors like uh, Jillian Jacobs, Peter Stormare, who I fucking absolutely adore, Patrick Warburton. I mean, classic guy there. You also have uh, Kumail uh, Nanjani that we talked about, uh, was it last week or a couple weeks ago with Destroy All Neighbors? Yes. Not from Harold and Kumar. Not from Harold and Kumar. <laughs> that's right. From Silicon Valley. Is that what you? Yeah, you know? Silicon Valley. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so uh, this guy has stomach problems. He's not quite sure what's going on. You know, he's uh, going to the bathroom a lot and his wife is, seems to be a little bit fed up with it because it's a it's a constant issue. And he's also having kind of marital problems because he's not ready for a baby, but his wife is. And the his mother is like kind of pushing it. And his mother is with uh, Kumail and he's much younger than her. And they have a weird relationship as well. It's very sexual in nature that they keep bringing up inappropriately at the table and yeah so the story is he with those stomach issues eventually a little creature that kind of looks like the baby from dinosaur you know the not the mama (laughs) baby uh, comes out and kills people that this guy doesn't like and once he's done killing that person he crawls right up back up his, his ass and goes on his merry way and it's the story of him trying to control the demon in his ass uh, which kind of reminds me of similar things we've seen in the past. There, there's that one where his, it's his ass that does the killing. We watched it also in a movie club one time. I think I made you watch it as a punishment, maybe. I, I don't remember what it's called, though. Anyway, whatever that one was called. There's also an um, X-Files episode that was kind of like that. It wasn't off his butt, though. It was like a conjoined twin that he had on his stomach that the conjoined twin would detach and go kill people and then come back. It's a wild film. There's no doubt about it. Very good comedy. I really thought the comedy hit mostly. My issue with it is that they don't go far enough with the horror. There's a whole lot of scenes of him complaining. A lot of scenes of that thing going up and in and out of his ass. Like an uncomfortable amount of scenes doing that. Uh, Peter Stormare plays like his like guru and he like helps him through the process which is hilarious but there's so much of it that by i just wanted more killings more blood more victims and stuff like that so i ended up giving it a three out of five i think it's worth watching you know especially in a group setting like we were but not one i would go out of my way of checking out either so that's bad milo over on tubi excellent we didn't mention our review our ratings for here for blood i don't know if you want to Sure. I gave it uh, three and a half stars out of five. Yeah. You know, when I ended it, I was actually, I was at a three out of five, but the more I get away from it, the more I enjoyed it. Like the more like it sticks in my brain as being like just really, really fun. So yeah, I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five as well. So, all right. So once again, yeah, check that out. Stick around for the interview. But before that, 
it's time for our main event of the evening 1998's disturbing behavior the new kid in cradle bay washington stumbles across something sinister about the town's method of transforming its unruly teens into upstanding citizens uh steve this was your pick so would you like to get a little more in depth about the sort of plot and then i'll share my thoughts yeah, so this was semi my pick. Uh, my actual pick is going to be next week. This was like, well, Todd's not there, so I sent Joe five movies, and I'm like, pick one of these, and he picked this one. So Disturbing Behavior is a movie that I used to watch a lot growing up. I had the soundtrack on CD, and it's got some banger songs, but I haven't watched it in probably 15 to 20 years, and I didn't know how it would hold up, and I was curious uh, and seeing all the scores on Letterboxd, I was not too confident. But uh, the story is about a guy played by James Marsden. Of course, the second most famous Marsden after Jason. Uh, he So he goes to this town with a Catherine Isbell, who uh, plays his sister. And they're new to the town. His brother committed suicide, unfortunately. So the they're kind of like an unease within the family. And he's going to school and, you know, new kid in school. He doesn't know who to hang out with. So he finds this other kid called Gavin and his really weird friend called UV. And he kind of gives them a lay of the land, explaining the politics in the school, what type of groups each people have. And he informs him that there's this particular group called the Blue Ribbons, who are kind of the, this jock kind of preppy group that uh, exclusively hang out with each other and are kind of mean to others. And they're really weird. And he's saying he's telling him that these people... You know, there's something weird with them because they were all kind of very different and all of a sudden switched to blue ribbons as soon as they joined the program. And eventually Gavin himself becomes a blue ribbon, which makes, you know, it was Steve, Steve which is uh, James Marsden's character, try to figure out what's going on. He also meets a woman played by Katie Holmes, who kind of helps him on his way. And that's kind of the gist of the story is what is happening with this blue ribbon group? Why are they so violent? What's triggering them? And getting behind kind of where it all started and who is responsible for all of it. So, uh, Joe, I have nostalgia for this film, so I might be going in in a different way than you are. Uh, do you, have you had you seen this movie? And what were your initial thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I do have nostalgia for this movie, which is one of the reasons why when you uh, it was one of the options that I chose it. I remember watching this movie. God, it must have been like middle school, I guess, when it when it first came out. So I do remember watching it a lot in 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 my youth, but I didn't I probably haven't watched it in a solid 15 plus years. And honestly, it just kind of for, I forgot about it. So it was a pretty fresh one. Like there were a couple of scenes, you know, I kind of remember from it. I totally forgot James Marsden was the lead in it. I just remembered honestly Katie Holmes being in it. But other than that, I, I didn't remember too much. So this was uh, for the most part, a pretty fresh watch. Once I started watching it again, I did start to remember places it, it went. So yeah, I I, I gotta say, I it didn't hold up very well for me, honestly. You know, I I still like enjoy. I still think it's like a, a decent enough movie. The problem is, is that like it's just like every single other sort of '90s like teen horror movie, which isn't like the worst thing in the world. The problem is, like, a lot of the other ones did something better or different. Whereas this one just kind of plays it, like, just by the numbers. And it's just, like, pretty generic. 
there's just like not a lot of meat really on the bone here. Like it's just kind of starts middle ends with just not enough there for me to, to grab on to anything and get excited about, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, the, the, I think, and I think one of the biggest problems, honestly, is James Marsden himself. Like, the cat, like his character, like I feel like he already should be a part of the teens that sort of he has that look already to him of the uh, I forget what they're called in, in the blue movie. ribbons, the blue ribbons. Yeah, he already looks like a blue ribbon and he's supposed to be sort of this loner, you know, sort of ragtag type guy, but he doesn't give off those vibes at all. And I get why the studio chose him because he's a good looking dude, right? So like he's sort of supposed to be the teen heartthrob of the movie. But I think it was just like a miscasting choice for me. I mean, I think he does a good job. Like his performance is good, but I just did not buy him as sort of being the sort of the loner character, which the other two guys play by, you know, Nick Stahl and um I don't know the other dude. I just call him sort of albino guy in this movie. They both you know, played it better for sure. And I just didn't buy that. He was sort of supposed to be like friends with them and whatnot. And Katie Holmes character as well. So to me, like that kind of threw me off a bit. And yeah, I mean, I, I like, there just wasn't enough like kills either. You know, you got like the intros pretty cool. Like I thought, and you know, I know we'll get more in depth later. You get a, a pretty cool intro and then, you know, you get some character development, which is always important. But then, like, there's just long stretches where not a lot of interesting stuff happens. I do think they did a pretty good job of, like, masking what was happening in the town for a long time to keep sort of the mystery there. But once we get to, like, what's actually happening here, you know, it, it, it it's cool. It's interesting enough, but it just didn't they didn't really do enough with it. I think to keep me uh, interested. So at the end of the day, like it just, just came off just generic to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where to start with this one. So <laughs> I, I disagree with you on one aspect. I think it was the point to have someone who looks like a blue ribbon as the lead, because you would expect him to join that group, but it shows that it doesn't mean you look like that, that you necessarily belong to that group, you know? And I like that he didn't look like uh, Gavin or UV or, you know, kind of that type of person because it kind of subverts expectations. Like this guy should be the jock, but he, he's not, you know, he, he can belong with another group. So I like that. But I do unfortunately agree with you that it is kind of a bland film. Uh, there's not a whole lot going on. Amazing 90s music and very much a uh, like so 98. I, I was late high school in 98. So I very much relate with what's going on in the high school of this film, particularly with the type of groups that the school has, because a lot of those groups were around when I was in high school. So I think that helped a lot with the nostalgia and everything like that. It's just you're right. There's not enough kills. There are long periods of time where there's not much going on. It's just people having conversations that don't really lead anywhere. But upon this rewatch, there are some things that I didn't remember that I found super interesting. And one thing in, in particular that I'm really dying to discuss with you is one of my favorite actors who I think is extremely underrated is uh, William Sadler. And he plays a janitor in this one. And I think there's a great story behind this dude. They just don't really explore it enough. So I'm just going to skip ahead to him and then we'll go back into some of the like actual high school and blue ribbon stuff. So in the movie, he plays this kind of weird, dirty 
janitor who's like chasing rats all the time and he's obsessed with rats and he keeps coming out of sewers and like gross places and stuff and he bangs on machines and he's got a cigarette like always hanging in his mouth and um you're meant to believe he's kind of like the town like the village idiot but steve the main character notices that he has a kurt vonnegut book in his back pocket and he's like there's no way this guy would read that and it turns out that he's playing an act and he says, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be great to just disappear and not be yourself? So what was he? Like where I would love to know. Like, I'm afraid, you know, maybe he's got like a really shady past that isn't good and shouldn't be working at a school. But maybe also I, I was hoping he'd have some kind of connection with the blue ribbons, you know, like he just wanted to disappear within his own town. I know what to deal with him. What what'd you make of that character? Yeah, I mean, I love William Sadler. He's he's a great actor. He's a excellent character actor. You know, he's he's definitely like he reminds me a lot of um, what's his name? Was it Will Patton? Yeah, and, and a lot. Of, yeah. yeah, like I feel like the two of them like together. They're just two of the most probably underrated actors working in Hollywood. They're always popping up in fantastic movies and always give great roles. I mean, he was fine in this. Like he didn't. You know, he he was he was there sort of. I guess for. A plot devices i guess at the end of the day he's sort of the guy that takes out the blue ribbons which oh my god we'll get into that scene like at, at the end but man it, spoilers i did i did not really enjoy that scene all that much but yeah i mean he was he, he was there like you know i they didn't really this is another movie like we talked about it last week with event horizon this movie was heavily edited by the studio there was once again like big studio interference with this movie there is a director's cut that has never seen the light of day, apparently, but there's about a two-hour director's cut, which I don't know if I'd want to watch that, honestly, but I would be interested to see what was cut out, so maybe more of William Sadler's back janitor backstory is in there, but honestly, for me, like I just didn't find him interesting enough for me to even really care about his backstory so yeah i mean for me he was just he was fine like he's a good actor and i, I liked seeing him here but not anyone i was too interested in, in exploring too in depth personally yeah see the thing is i wonder because i did read about that whole cut and you can watch the majority of the director's cut on youtube because throughout all the editions like the dvd releases and stuff like that they had a bunch of deleted scenes and someone cut them all back into the film and released on youtube so if you want to watch that you can and i think it's got this character has to have scenes because there's no story purpose as him faking being the village idiot and there's got to be a story behind it like why is he doing it like uh, why like why does it serve? Why was it important to the story that he does that? Because really, he could have just been a nice, weird guy, you know, but he isn't. And that that's a kind of a it's both a, a miss, but also made me really interested to know, like, what was the deal with that character? Perhaps life after Shawshank. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's possible. That very, <laughs> very possible, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's very, very possible. <laughs> so let's go back to the Blue Ribbon and the stuff that's going on in school. So we're introduced to Gavin and UV uh, early on in the film. And one scene that I thought was really interesting is him sitting at the cafeteria and going through each of the different groups within uh, the school. So I want to ask you just a couple, I guess, more personal questions. One, uh, and it, I asked this on Discord, so that's one of the reasons I joined the Discord. We had a big discussion about it today. What kind of groups did your school have? Was it, like, segregated like that by music type, by maybe, like, whatever the case may be? What would you belong back then, and what do you belong in? What would you belong in now? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did enjoy that scene. It's like very cliche, obviously, like with every single sort of high school teenage movie like this, you you get into the high school and you find all the clicks and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, I think every high school is like that. I think every high school has those clicks. You have the jocks, you have the geeks, you have the, you know, the the burnouts and, and stuff like that, you know, and the list goes on and on. So I did enjoy that scene with, with the three of them. I thought that was entertaining enough. As far as what I belong to, you know, I, I, I didn't really belong to a particular clique in high school. I kind of talked to everybody. You know, I, I would talk to the geeks. I would talk to the jocks. I would talk to, like, the, the skater kids, the burnout, stuff like that. I definitely wasn't, like, popular, though, or anything like that. But I wasn't, like, a complete outcast either. So, to me, I just kind of, I feel like I just kind of sat in the middle, like, of everything. You know what I mean? I, I didn't jump to one or the other you know so yeah what about you what about and you where were you if, at i just want to ask one more before yeah. i go if you had to choose a group like it's oh, like right, it's today. like grand Th- it's like grand theft auto you know you yeah. have to join one of the gangs uh which one do you think uh from the ones you had in high school would you belong most now yeah i mean it's a good question i like i don't know i'm just never like the click people like i i mean if like you could find if there was like a great like if there was a horror crew <laughs> back then or something like which there, sure isn't, which there wasn't <laughs> yeah. there isn't and there usually is it never is so i guess if there was like a, like a horror geek if we, i mean i would definitely jump on like the, the horror geek train but yeah i don't know like i i don't know like i'm just not a person that just jumps on the clicks like you know i i guess i would gear more towards sort of the yeah, I guess like the the goth style kids, since they're more into sort of the darker horror stuff or whatever. Although I was never really a goth, but I guess I would I would head more towards that territory, like into in today, because I'm not like athletic or anything, so I definitely wouldn't be with the jocks. Although I do like sports, but I wouldn't fit in with them. You know, I I I'm not a person that does many drugs or anything, so I wouldn't join the the burnout crowd. You know, I, I'm not athletic enough to skate, so I wouldn't join the skater crowd. So, yeah, I guess I'd be more towards the sort the I, I still feel like I'd fall down the middle today. But if I had to choose one, I guess it'd be sort of the the goth style chill kids. Yeah, so my I went to an interesting high school because I went to French school in an English neighborhood. And there are a lot of politics involved with that, which I'm not going to go into because it's a whole conversation. But the gist of it is where I'm from, if immigrated to my province, automatically had to go to this school because you have to go to French school by law over there. It's like a a law. So what we ended up having is a lot of different races. And my school was segregated by race. You had the white people who were all French. You had the black people, you had the Arabs, you had the Asians, you had, you know, like, that's how we were segregated, these South Americans, and it was the weirdest thing. So we didn't have so much skaters and goth and, you know, that kind of stuff. I was kind of lucky because I was accepted by the white kid, the white French kids because I was white, but I was accepted by the kind of other groups as well because I was an Anglophone. So I was kind of like in the middle, so I kind of just squeezed by, you know, the whole... Uh, high school thing i personally was a jock in high school uh almost in a sick way because i even listened to jock jams in my car <laughs> like, i was yeah not the not the coolest kid but anyway and i was also the captain of the only sports team i had in the school which sounds like a cool thing when i say it like that but in truth be told it was a volleyball team because that's all we had and we had no budget because it was a piece of shit school so we actually had to wear the women's volleyball uh, sorry the women's basketball jerseys from the 1980s that's that's the only thing we had as any kind of uniform so it was 
Yeah, I fucking hated high school. I love college, but high school is awful. As for what group I would belong to, like you, probably goth. We only had one goth person or two goth people in my high school, and they were a little too weird for my taste. Like the goth girl carried around like a baby doll that was burnt. It, it was just, it was odd. <laughs> like I just, I don't know. But I guess if I'm going to pick a group, that's probably now the one I would, at least we could talk horror, you know, I'd be weirded out, but we could talk horror. Yeah, same. I think I yeah, there was like some similar things. I remember there was like a goth kid in high school that kind of had a similar thing carrying around like dolls and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Hey, whatever, whatever you're into, I guess. <laughs> Teach your own. <laughs> right. so, so, how did you feel about Gavin and UV as characters in the story? Were you surprised that Gavin was the one that kind of of the main characters joined the Blue Ribbons, or like, how did you feel about all that? No, I mean, I thought, like, he was a good choice, right? Because he's sort of the likable one, like, the one of the group and stuff like that, the one you don't want to see turn. I really liked UV, but I just feel like he's, like, really underutilized. He, like, disappears for, like, a solid, like, 45 minutes of this movie and then just sort of pops back up behind a tree at one point. Uh, I wish Did we, we talk about little... that? What was he doing there? Why was he at Steve's house, know. like, behind the tree outside? He was, you know, he was he's just creeping on Catherine. Scheming. He was scheming that whole time. That was 45 minutes, I guess. He didn't yeah. have Nick Stahl as a sidekick anymore. <laughs> right. so he was lost. But, yeah, I mean, Nick Stahl's a good, a great actor, so he, he does a good job. I mean, that I did enjoy that scene of sort of when we finally he becomes a blue ribbon you know and he, he pops up and it turns into sort of this whole fight scene you know james marsden where he sort of turns on james marsden and knees him in the nuts i believe it is at one point but yeah i mean that's the most action we get in the whole movie sort of yeah i mean i just wish we got like more like that whole opening scene where you know they're they're messing around and he like breaks her neck you know and we find out that the town's sort of in on it i thought it was great and i wish we got more of the blue ribbons raging in this movie and, and we just don't like, so yeah, it's just, I, I like Nick Stahl. I thought that that scene was great, but I, I we should have got more with either him or the other blue ribbons kind of going ape shit. Like we didn't get enough of that until towards the end. Yeah. I, I did like his turn as well. I, I love the scene where they uh, kind of crashed the PTA meeting by uh, observing what's going on up there. And they're like, uh, our next student that's joining the program is a loser. He uh, spends too much time listening to rock and masturbating. And James looks at him and says, Jesus, what a, what a loser. And they're actually talking about Gavin. Yeah, I thought that was a funny scene. And yeah, I agree though that the blue ribbon should have been there should have been more to them we do have that one blue ribbon who kind of pops up because he's horny for uh, katie holmes's character uh, and actually i don't know if we mentioned it but horniness is a trigger for the blue ribbons that makes them go psychotic and you have a couple scenes especially with that guy you have one in a grocery store you have one at a gas station you know like you see him a few times kind of go off and you also have a girl uh, exhibit horniness on James Marsden's character Steve and she like just takes off her top and like also goes in a weird way so there, there's like a little bit of it but definitely not enough to they didn't feel scary enough I guess is what I'm getting to you know they hang out at a yogurt shop or a shoppy as Gavin says and uh, they just kind of stick to themselves until being assaulted right yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, that that is like the one I think scene I remember, which is probably the most iconic scene, right, in the movie where the girl kind of, you know, tries to 
you know, seduce James Marsden and then ends up smashing her head on the mirror, which was cool. Yeah, I mean, I wish we got more of that. Like you said, I guess let's get it. I want to get into the twist, I guess, is what we finally find out. What is happening to these kids? What we come to find out is that there is a doctor in town that has convinced the parents, hey, like, you know, I have invented this sort of chip that we can insert into your kids that, you know, your kids that are going the wrong way in life, right? Like that parents might be concerned about and we can insert these chips into your kids and they'll turn into the perfect model student like the rest of that we see in these blue ribbons. The problem is obviously if they get horny or whatever, it it sends off a sort of rage thing. I mean, I don't know. It was, it just reminded me of like a, a Twilight Zone style children uh, was Village of the Dam style twist of yeah. I mean it's just yeah I mean I don't know I I don't know where else you could have gone with this I guess but just like that's when it started sort of turning into generic territory to me where they end up like in the fucking laboratory and James Marsden's like tied up and stuff like that <laughs> yeah I don't know it just yeah. was like a blah sort of twist for me right so first. For- piece of advice to the doctor lose the goddamn mustache it, it was it was awful it was like a half mustache where he shaved like right under his nose so the mustache was like really small just above his lip no no just don't <laughs> yeah just commit to the whole mustache or fucking put or no mustache but I, I agree with you i did like when they go like there's a facility of the people where the the testing didn't work including the doctor's uh, daughter i thought that was an interesting scene they're there for three minutes, I think, and then leave. Now, it has probably the best song in the movie, Flagpole Suda by uh, Harvey Danger, which is awesome. But there just wasn't enough there. And where I think it should have gone, if I had written this film, is that it should have essentially become a fast zombie film. At one point, something should have just triggered them all, uh, whether it's that radio or whatever. And they start attacking people, and it becomes kind of a survival film where they're trying to kill the remaining blue ribbons because they've gone mad and they don't do that at all. The blue ribbons are just kind of there for the majority of the film, just standing around and really wanting to recruit uh, James Marsden and uh, Katie Holmes for whatever fucking reason. I don't really understand. Yes. And Catherine Isabel, which yeah, I mean, she's kind of like, wait, she's kind of wasted in this movie. Yeah. You don't see her much. Yeah. You don't see her much. Also, there's like a really random, um, plot point with the brother that committed suicide that really goes nowhere it's just sort of mentioned and glossed over so i know for a fact that that's one of the heavy storylines that okay. uh was cut from the film that makes sense. They, they felt since it dealt with suicide that it was a little too intense for a movie they were trying to market to like teens essentially right um yeah because they even hired with ethan Embry, i think is the brother oh. so kind of a waste because you see him really quickly right. in flashbacks that's right you see him uh, for like two seconds yeah yeah but yeah they'd hired a legit actor to play that role because yeah. there was more to it right see that's like a hard disagree with me is that they like thought it was too serious for teen because like teen suicide is like such a like big thing like in this country or in the world not i mean obviously so i, I don't think that would have been like too heavy you know it's an important subject but i guess back in the 90s it was a little more taboo maybe or something they didn't want to touch on it so, uh, I mean, what did you think of the whole fucking rat 
sensor thing sort of setting them all off and that's sort of the way they they end up getting defeated <laughs> i mean it's it's dumb obviously yeah you know, but i guess sound waves have been used to kill some things in the past so i mean it's a good reason i can't think of a different like another reason that would trigger them you know so at least they gave the janitor something to do <laughs> right <laughs> I don't know I where mean, he found all those machines. That's a whole other in like one night, but that's a whole other thing. Right. Yeah. He, he was busy. He was a busy man. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I really just like that scene. You know, all of the sort of people raging from to shut off the, the signals. And then he drives off the cliff with all of them to defeat them. I mean, would they have been that dumb to just stay on the car when he's clearly driving off it? I'm like, I feel like a lot of them probably would have jumped off. But I don't know. I guess like that that signal and the rage right. caused them to not do it. Plus the fucking corny ass fucking line of, hey, teacher, leave those kids alone. Or <laughs> pulls out the Pink Floyd fucking thing at the end while he's right. driving off the cliff. I was like, oh, give me a break. Yeah, I, I, I did not dig that scene at all. But one of my... Laugh out loud favorite scenes is when fucking Marzen is escaping at the end and he fucking does a fucking evil Knievel style jump onto the ferry boat. I lost my shit. I was like that. I just found it absolutely hilarious that, that it was great. Yeah, yeah but not in a good way. <laughs> like this, no, no. It was, so ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are a lot of moments in this that just, you know, it's just like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you think, like, I don't know. I don't think, personally, like, even with the director's cut, this would have made it a much better movie, personally. Like, I don't think my rating would have gone up that much. Like, in comparison to last week, Event Horizon, I'm saying, like, that director's cut might have raised this movie up to, you know, almost, you know, horror sci-fi masterpiece. But with this, I'm just like, eh, I feel like it still would have been, like, a middling-type movie. Maybe, right? Because if they cut out all the horror stuff, then maybe it would have been better because as horror fans, maybe it would have been more entertained. Or if I think they cut out a lot of kills, I think they cut out a lot of the suicide subplot. I, I think maybe it would have been a better film, you know, if they had added all that stuff. But I don't know because it is kind of a very like mid film. You know, there's not a whole lot that's unique in this film. You know, I, like I said, I watched Hellmaster, which was released six years before this. And it was basically the same film, just done better you know, with more horror and more things like that. So, yeah, I I don't know how much it would impact, but it depends what they cut. You know, if they cut some just some random exposition scenes, then no. If it's really they just cut all the good stuff, which would be weird, but then maybe, but it's tough to say. This is the movie we got, so we got to, you know, review it off what was released. Right. So apparently in the director's cut, there was a sex scene see oh. between steve and rachel so there you go a little heat Probably little heat there PG, though <laughs> <laughs> yeah the there's also an ending in which gavin dies right. which he clearly does not in this movie but yeah i mean what'd you think about that obviously they left it open right at the end we end up seeing gavin <laughs> he has gone to a new school and he apparently you know but the dead the doctor's dead right so it's right. like what is he gonna do like is he gonna develop the technology again or does he is he able to uh being able to he is still a blue ribbon is he able to convert these kids some way somehow obviously they kind of left it open for a sequel but obviously i don't think anyone cared like i don't i don't know how well this movie did but apparently not enough well enough to come up with a sequel for it (laughs) right yeah it's um i I don't know i I don't know if i like that ending 
they, they should have just left him dead honestly or leave it open like don't show him die like they didn't you know they just kind of show the car going over with all the students but if he's alive are there others alive i don't know it's just it's like they didn't know how to end it you know i don't know how the original ending was supposed to be i know he dies but i don't know if like what would have been the last shot maybe it's just them you know sailing away to the next town i, I have no idea but yeah it's because i didn't care about that point i was kind of indifferent whether he lived or died yeah I mean, and honestly, like reading this director's cut, like stuff that was cut out, it just seemed like more exposition and really not any horror stuff. Right. <laughs> so I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't foresee this being a much better movie, even with the director's cut. But right, actually, uh, it probably it could have been worse because we yeah, right, it was an hour twenty four, right? right? So yeah, that was a perfect right. length for this movie. <laughs> right. I mean, according to uh, apparently, it was screened to um, Fangoria writers and other horror journalists, and they said it was leaps and bounds apparently better than uh the theatrical cut uh they praised it a lot more so maybe 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 it would have been a better movie but i don't know after reading some of the stuff i'm just i don't think so but all right i think that about covers it steve so watch starts off why don't you give us a rating yeah um you know i was going into this expecting a four out of five because of my memory unfortunately i'm not near that <laughs> up on rewatch I don't think it was like I still enjoyed watching it. You know, it's it just it didn't do anything great. So I'm leaving it right in the middle, two and a half out of five. It's too bad. I'm kind of sad, but that's that happens. You know, nostalgia is a mm -hmm. is a powerful drug, and uh, some things are better left in the past. And I think, unfortunately, this movie is one of them. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I also give it a two and a half out of five, and I thought I honestly think nostalgia plays. Uh, a factor in my rating i feel like if i just watch this fresh now i might have rated it even lower right. <laughs> but i think but i think the nostalgia plays a, a bit of a factor for me i mean it's you know it's an enjoyable enough movie it's a 90s yeah teen horror movie you know it, it's not as good clearly as like the faculty which came you know i think the same year or later on and stuff like that so there's just so many better 90s teen horror movies out there that sort of like why waste your time with this one it's just like not right you know good enough in any way so i mean it, it's watchable absolutely but just nothing that's you know I, I can recommend so yeah two and a half out of five for me as well one last question i have kind of related but also unrelated and i'm just curious when people are named joe in a movie and they mm -hmm. repeat the name a lot yes. uh, do you feel a certain way about it because so in this one the main guy's called steve or steven and they say it a lot in this movie, like they do uh, unnaturally amount of times. <laughs> in fact, he even says a line where I, I fucking hate being called Steven. Call me Steve. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't love being called Steven. That's kind of like the name my mom would call me when she was mad mm -hmm. at me. You know, even though at work, they kind of call me Steve all the time anyway. But it's a whole other story. I just felt weird in this weird. because <laughs> I don't know. I felt like attacked in some weird way. Do you feel the same mm -hmm. way when people are called Joe? Nah, not really. I just feel like Joe's such a common name. You hear it so often. So maybe the first time I hear it in a movie, I'll be like, oh, cool. He's got the same name as me. But other than that, nah, nah, it, it doesn't really affect me. Yeah, it, it normally doesn't, but they say it so fucking much in this movie. <laughs> they, that do. It, it, it they was, do. It was like almost weird <laughs> after yeah. a while. I don't know. Yeah, I was just curious. Nah. All right. Well, Steven, yeah. <laughs> I think that is going to wrap up this episode don't forget ladies and gentlemen stick around for our interview with sean roberts before we get into um before i end our little spiel here 
Um, so that is going to wrap up this episode. We hope you enjoyed our review of Disturbing Behavior. You can keep up with the podcast, Facebook, Twitter. I keep saying Twitter. Do we call it X nowadays, I guess? I Facebook? <laughs> right. I don't care either. I'm like, am I? do I sound like an old man, though, by saying Twitter every week? Where like The, the Twitter? <laughs> right, the Twitter. And everyone's yeah. like, what the fuck is Twitter now? Uh, so I, I think everyone still calls it Twitter. So Facebook, Twitter slash X, Instagram, threads. Are people even using threads? Like, I, I hardly no. ever on that thing. The only time I'm ever on it is to post horror squad stuff and i don't even know if i think i'm the only one who reacts to them (laughs) right yeah so facebook twitter instagram the the two of you that are maybe on threads you can follow us on there as well but of course as you know the absolute best way to keep up with the podcast is our discord amazing community over there we do movie club every month over there steve hosts it it's an amazing time tons of channels you can keep like i said living dead weekend talk over there texas frightmare talk all the other cons and stuff people are going to keep up um, with the community over there on the discord it's linked on our instagram or you can send us a dm or email us the horror squad podcast at gmail.com we'll send you a link over to the discord or just email us if you like you can email us questions feedback if you have maybe a project coming up you'd like to promote or something like that, we're into it. So send us an email if uh, you know, you're know you doing any of that, the Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll definitely answer you. Merch, tpublic.com, the Horror Squad Podcast. We have a lot of awesome designs over there. If you'd also like to support the podcast, you can leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. That helps us a lot, helps get the name out there, spread the word. So please do that. And once again, important dates, June 7th through the 9th, Living Dead Weekend, Monroeville, Pennsylvania, and October 11th through the 13th, our Hocus Pocus event in Salem, Massachusetts. All details over on the Discord for that. And yeah, that's it. Once again, our interview with Sean Roberts coming up immediately after this. Gear for Blood, releasing next week, a week from today, February 9th. So go and check it out streaming on Screenbox. Enjoy the interview. See you next week. Bye. Welcome back, everyone, to the Horror Squad podcast, where tonight we have a very special guest. We have the star of the upcoming film, Here for Blood, which is coming out on February 9th in select theaters, on digital, and of course, on Screenbox, Sean Roberts. Sean, thank you very much for coming on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Awesome. Can you please tell us a little bit of what Here for Blood is all about? So the story centers around a quaint little house in the middle of nowhere and a little girl who needs a babysitter. Um, I play the role of Tom, who ends up being uh, given the responsibility of of babysitting, much to his uh, his uh, um, resistance to it, um, only to discover that there is a satanic cult hell-bent on sacrificing said little girl to bring spirits in from the other side. Well, they didn't expect the babysitter, and uh, that was me. So there we are. Michael, my first question is, I mean, I guess you looked absolutely jacked for this role, especially as a uh, playing a wrestler. I I guess you should, but did you have to uh, bulk up at all for the role, or are you just naturally a, a gifted man? Uh, well, I mean, it takes time. It takes energy. And uh, luckily, I've had lots of time over the last few years. Um, 
you know, I, I've struggled for years wanting to maintain a physique that my agents and representatives wish that I hadn't. Um, but I explained to them that I didn't want to play a heroin addict, so I'm not going to do that. Um, and yeah, man, I mean, it's uh, it's my own personal passion, and um, it's the one thing in this world that I can control. So I sort of got into it, and uh, you know, for the longest time, I. I had that uh, resistance from my team, but uh, I told them, I said, listen, this is what it is and so be it. And I actually got uh, some some action roles and then this came along, which validated it. Um, so yeah, man, it's just, it's nice to finally be able to use it and not have it covered up and sort of shied away from. I'm like, man, I work so freaking hard. Are you kidding me? So I, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to use it. Now, uh, you know, obviously you played, we, we got to see some of, you know, your wrestling moves in the beginning uh, of the of the movie, as well as, I assume you did, did you do your own stunts for all of this? I did, I did, um, which was a blessing because, you know, a lot of times when you're the lead actor in a movie, that's not something we're willing to take a liability on. Um, but, you know, we kept the majority of the, the stunt and action um, safe and not ridiculous i think originally there was sort of a, a stair fall that had me going back uh ass over tea kettle and that was sort of i was hesitant about doing because that's one of the more dangerous stunts is this backward stairs um but we managed to figure out something else because our location didn't allow that to happen um and you know i mean you wear thin pads and uh you just the best man i mean you're just you're you're wrestling with a bunch of other dudes and you feel like you're 10 years old in the basement again and uh it was it was really fun we had a good group to do it with awesome awesome now uh this movie is to me it was, it was a it was a treat it was a real treat it goes to some real crazy places i i never fully expected the twists and turns of this movie it, it just gets really insane but in the best possible ways so I got to ask you, uh, when you, you know, when you first got the script for this movie, what was your initial reaction? Uh, I felt like it was written for me, man. I mean, these are the words that I would say. And then when you get to the the one-liners, just like, oh, man, I've been waiting my entire career for one-liners. This is awesome. <laughs> now, it's like from the movies in the 90s when you grow up and you, you see action stars doing it. You hope that maybe one day you find a script that, that works for you. And uh James did a, a heck of a job on this one. Basically, everything you see in the movie, it was his idea. He wrote it down, and um, it, it was super easy. It just it felt like I had already done it kind of a thing. So by the time I got to the end of the script, I was like, well, yes, where do I sign? Yes, please. <laughs> like, You know, movies like this, you're like, man, if I had all my expenses paid, I would do this for free. Yes, please. I would pay to do this movie, right? Yeah. So it was... Uh, yeah, it was perfect right from the get-go, and I just hope that it turned out to be the movie it did, and we got lucky because it did, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. I can't wait for the the horror fans to come out and see this because I know everyone's going to be really jazzed about it. Uh, where the movie really shines and where the this is where the horror fans really love it is its practical effects and gore in this movie. Uh, were there any particular scenes in general that, you know, you uh, had a favorite to film or anything you're excited for the fans to see without getting too spoilery, of course? Right. Um, you know, I think there's there's more than just one awesome little beat where you're just like, oh, that was really cool. So 
um, to have anything that stands out in my mind immediately right now, um, I enjoyed probably when the other actors and actresses get sprayed with blood and mm. I don't have to get all cold <laughs> and sticky. That's probably my favorite day. Um, and, you know, you see the camera guys with garbage bags head to toe. So, you know, the splatter. <laughs> um, I Yeah, it was... Uh, it's such a difference, man, to do real gags versus CGI. So it, it's a novelty even for those of us in film on set because we all want to see how it goes. Does it work? Does it? Is it like, you know? And uh, we had a really good team. Our special effects team was the first ones there and the last ones to leave. And uh, they, they really made this movie something special, I think. Uh, something that I didn't expect from this movie that I really enjoyed is the relationship that your character has with some of the others, particularly Grace, which I thought was a really kind of sweet relationship the two of you had. Uh, can you describe kind of what it was like working on set with the other actors, especially with the little girl who played Grace? Um, normally, when we uh, film starts off with a cast read-through, we all go to some Motel 8 in their boardroom and, and sit and have a read. Um, we didn't get an opportunity to do that. Instead, because of COVID and the we all had to do this over FaceTime. And so that's challenging, but it was still sort of nice to hear the script out loud. And one of the things that I sort of acknowledged right from the beginning was the preparedness of all the other actors. I mean, in theory, sure, it's, it's my movie, I'm, I gotta carry it, but I was impressed from day one of everyone else knowing their, their roles. And, you know, it's one thing just to have a job, but to have, a gig that you are passionate about and it's not the money because it certainly wasn't the money for anyone on this one <laughs> it was being able to do a cool movie like this that got everybody on board and willing to work nights in a shitty fucking location out in the middle of nowhere um and say goodbye to their families for a month and all the things um and, and one of the things that stood out for me right from the get-go with Maya particularly was how professional she was, right? So to have a 10-year-old kid rocking it like that, we got lucky because that is one of the things you're warned about in film is, is working with children and animals. You want to avoid that in all regards because it really extends the day and is a challenge. And having worked with animals, yes, that is challenging because it's all about the dog and forget about the acting that goes around it. But with a little kid like that, she's got so many great little beats that it's just like, oh my goodness, it was, it it really made it easy working with her. And um, yeah, our, our chemistry is uh, 100% natural. She's just, she's that good. So I was just in a state of awe um, for the other actors that were in there. Cause you know, I mean, I feel like they should all be more successful than they are. Cause they're all pretty great. So. Um, yeah, man, I, I got lucky because obviously the better they are, the better I am and the better the movie is. And uh, it's a pretty good movie, I think. Definitely, definitely. Uh, now, uh, one question I do have is uh, we get a surprise. I don't want to get I don't want to spoil anything for the fans here, but we do get a surprise cameo from D. Snyder. I won't say what. But uh, I want to know, did you know he was going to be uh, in this movie or was that sort of an all post-production surprise for you? It was a post-production surprise. It was a nice little, really? Like, <laughs> twisted, really? Oh my God, okay, sweet, man. This is unexpected. And I think it brings a, 
an extra little bit of um, value to the project. Like, you know, because he's got a pretty solid fan base for his years of doing this. And, you know, it was, uh, I guess it's validating to have somebody of that caliber be like, I want to be a part of something like that. And yeah, man, I think he killed it. And we got lucky um, with uh, the soundtrack in this movie for sure. Like mm. it would have been a completely different movie. So uh, is it's a blessing to have him on board for sure. Hell yeah. Yeah, that was, I can't wait. I really can't wait for the people people to check this out because everyone's going to be just pumped about all of this. Um, so this, you know, just a couple more for you. The movie does leave the door open for a potential sequel. So I got to ask, you know, have you had any discussions or can you tease anything for a potential sequel? Uh, we, we Listen, um, the final scene that we filmed as the sun's coming up and there's panic because you know those um magic hour only lasts for about 15 minutes so we got to get this shot and while we're all sitting there in the car thinking man this has been a crazy month together like can we do this again well yeah let's do it again okay what would the story be okay where are we gonna go i don't know we're gonna go on vacation we're gonna take her away from this hellhole we don't have to worry about the courts and all the things and the real life logistics we'll just go somewhere else with us and sure we talked about it um the frustrating part now is Maya used to be a little kid. She's now a teenager. So it doesn't it doesn't play the same way. We'd have to figure out something else. Um, but yeah, man, it's it, it's 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 different because when you work so intensely with people like that and it works and everybody gets along, you're like, well, can we do this again? I want to keep playing. This is amazing. Um, so I know that, you know, as actors being unemployed yeah absolutely we want to do this again does james have a script written i don't know i don't know that's a good question we should ask him <laughs> or get him working on it please <laughs> but let's get this one uh in front of audiences and let's see how they respond man you know fingers crossed uh, definitely uh, absolutely um i have to ask you about two other roles you've played in the horror genre uh, the first one is you worked in a couple of the dead films uh, under Romero. Can you tell us what it was like working under the master George A. Romero and maybe a story uh, of what it was like? Uh, working with George, um, it's a lot of uh, a lot of responsibility, or at least it felt that way initially because of who he is. Um, but there was absolutely no time on set with him that ever felt stressful or uncomfortable or uncertain um and i think that's probably one of the hardest things for directors to be able to do is create that safe space for actors to go for it man i'm not gonna make you look silly fucking you want to try something go try something sure absolutely and he was he took really good care of his actors um i feel honored to have been a part of that and uh he was always supportive. Um, I had the opportunity to go and do some autograph signings with him and see him interact with fans. And for his age, I don't want to be an ageist, but you know, an older guy to sit there for like 10 hours at a table, engaging with people, giving them everything he has, the photos, the up and down, the answers, the questions. It really, I think it's important for young actors to see somebody established like that and how they handle it. Um, 
yeah, I, I, he certainly taught me a lot, you know. And my last question about uh, another role you had as a big gamer, I have to ask, what was it like to play Albert Wesker uh, in multiple Resident Evil films? Uh, well, I mean, what was it like? I couldn't even fit into the suit myself. I had to get dressed by other people, like two other people. I couldn't pull the boots on because they were... Um, the first scene that I did uh, were on top of the White House and I'm doing a big long speech. It's just before lunch and my pants split wide open. And you know, uh, okay, I guess that's lunch. So it was, it was different in that um, I wanted to showcase my physique and then I ended up wearing this stuff that hides it. Um, that was challenging. But to be on a film of that scale and with that much of a following, yeah, man, it's a little stressful because you know that everybody's going to have a certain view of how Albert Wesker should be and this, that, and the other. Um, I got spoiled, man. Like you, like, you do a movie like that, you want them all to be like that. So um, it was it was a learning experience um, industry-wise, sort of finding your place, you know, because when you first book the role, you think, okay, man, that's it. I'm going to be famous after this. Yeah, it turns out nobody cares. Get back to work. Um, so it's a good series of lessons that as an actor, you're always looking for work. There is never one job that you get that makes you. Um, so I guess that was a good lesson to learn. Mm -hmm. I was just going up. Excellent. Sean, our time grows short. Unfortunately, we could really talk to you all day. You've been an absolute delight today. Everyone, please make sure to go check out Here for the Blood. It hits Screenbox uh, on February 9th. Uh, one last thing, Sean. Um, is there anything else? You know, Where can people follow you? Anything else you'd like to promote that's coming up for you? Um, I have uh, another film coming out at the end of uh, February called Afterwards. Um, I'm the lead in that. It's a dark spiritual drama being stuck in essentially purgatory, a winter wasteland. Um, and I'm not sure where that's being released, but I've been informed that it's coming out at the end of the month. Um, I have another movie called Campton Manor, which is apparently coming out uh, in May. Uh, I think there's maybe a, a, a slight theatrical uh, release um in in march and other than that i'm on instagram trying to be a trainer for people who want to get jacked and lean and feel better so it's it's this it's it man i'm just trying to do what we can to survive and uh just keep showing up every day right that's the only way we win absolutely and i think the more and more people that see this movie will definitely want to get some training for you because i know i definitely want to after seeing this one so once again everyone that is here for blood February 9th on Screenbox. Please check it out. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much.
Shut up!